Good afternoon, and welcome to From Where We Are. I'm Jack Waterman, coming to you live from Studio B in USC's Annenberg Media Center. And I'm Nick Liston. From Where We Are brings you stories of news and cultures through the lens of USC and Southern California. It's Monday, September 26, 2022. On today's show, Iranian students reflect on the ongoing protest due to the murder of Masa Amini. Rosh Hashanah celebrations get on their way. And a look into Don't Worry Darling's box office success. All that and more after these news headlines. Governor Gavin Newsom vetoed a bill making kindergarten mandatory despite his support of similar legislation in the past. This $268 million price tag, Newsom said, was not accounted for in the state's $307.9 billion budget plan, which aims to address lower-than-average state revenue. Rihanna announced yesterday that she would headline the upcoming Super Bowl halftime show in February 2023, her first public performance since early 2018. She was initially among a group of artists who declined invitations to perform at the show to support Colin Kaepernick's protest of the NFL in 2017. Since then, the NFL signed Jay-Z and his company, Rock Nation, to act as consultants for the show. Rihanna's anticipated performance will be the fourth show under the company's guidance. A spacecraft deliberately hit an asteroid earlier today in a first-of-its-kind effort by NASA to test its asteroid deflection technology. The Double Asteroid Redirection Test, or DART, uses a camera to autonomously guide itself on a collision course to redirect a satellite orbiting a near-Earth asteroid. The satellite, while posing no threat to the Earth itself, is a close match for potentially harmful asteroids which may threaten the Earth in the future. In a historic shift, Cuba legalized same-sex marriage and adoption, among other protections for women, children, and the elderly in a new family code. The election saw an overwhelming two-thirds of Cuban voters supporting the code, further distracting Cuba from its conservative past surrounding homosexuality. President Vladimir Putin granted Russian citizenship to Edward Snowden earlier today. Snowden had been living in exile in Russia to avoid prosecution by the U.S. government ever since he leaked its mass surveillance operations to news sources in 2013. Citizenship allows Snowden and his family greater flexibility in traveling across borders. In 2019, Snowden expressed interest in returning to the U.S. if he is granted a fair trial, but as of yet has made no comments related to his newfound citizenship. Despite its title, audiences couldn't help but worry about Olivia Wilde's newest film, Don't Worry Darling which premiered this past weekend. Reporter Lori Carrillo spoke with USC students about all the drama surrounding the movie. The internet has been raging about Olivia Wilde's new movie, Don't Worry Darling, a psychological thriller starring Florence Pugh as Alice and Harry Styles as her husband, Jack. The movie follows Alice as her seemingly perfect life in a secluded experimental community begins to fall apart. Social media was flooded with drama thanks to actor swap outs, leaked texts, and passive aggressive name calling. And those are just the highlights. First-year graduate student Olivia Feldman hasn't seen the movie, but has learned all about the drama from social media. I think now it's kind of making people question, like, oh, is it really, like, you know, what's the hype of this movie? And then it's more of like, oh, like, let me see if I can see the drama on the screen. So I think that's drawing more people out. All eyes were on the cast at the Venice Film Festival earlier this month. 
During the screening, videos circulated on TikTok and Twitter of Styles allegedly spitting on co-star Chris Pine. Junior sociology major Ariana Bollins feels like the drama overshadowed the film itself. I feel like it kind of just takes away from it being like perceived as like a serious film, which while entertaining to hear all the drama is like kind of unfortunate maybe. People who saw the film left with varying opinions. It scored 38% on Rotten Tomatoes. NPR said the movie builds a lot of tension but lacks resolution. The Guardian said the movie is, quote, basically devoid of suspense. Connor Florence, a first year MFA student studying film and TV production, watched the movie with this class on Thursday and felt unsatisfied with the ending. It was intriguing, but I'd, I felt like I'd seen it before in something like The Truman Show. I think you were already aware that something was off because of the trailer, so I think they may have, that was a bit of a misstep. Other students, like Balins, enjoyed the movie. I thought it was a fantastic movie. I thought it was really good. I thought Harry Styles was great as an actor, and I thought Florence Pugh stole the show, as she always does. Although opinions varied, the film opened number one on the box office on its theater premiere this past weekend garnering $19.2 million in ticket sales. Warner Bros. reported that the majority of the audience were women and under the age of 25. Junior film production major Lola Thomas wants to see the movie, especially because of everything she's seen about it. I am dying to see it. I just have to find the right group to go with. I have heard that it's not good, and so, I don't know, I'm just very interested because of the drama. As the drama dwindles, we'll see if Don't Worry Darling continues to perform in the box office. For Annenberg Media, I'm Lori Carrillo. Lashana Tova, Sunday marked the first day of Rosh Hashanah, the start of the new Jewish New Year. For many, this Holy Jewish Day is marked with attending synagogue services, eating festive, festive foods, and blowing a traditional horn called the shofar. Annenberg radio reporters took a closer look at campus celebrations. Nicole Bednar has more. Rosh Hashanah is considered to be among the holiest days in the Jewish religion, and celebrations are well underway on the USC campus. The festivities mark the start of the Jewish High Holy Days and symbolize the creation of the world. It's also the start of a 10-day reflection period for Jewish people around the months of September and October. One of the most iconic traditions of this holiday is the blowing of the shofar, a musical horn typically made from the horn of a ram. It represents joy, hope, and the trust for the future. USC Hillel gathered students around Tommy Trojan this afternoon to kick off the ancient tradition. Another popular custom of Rosh Hashanah involves eating apple slices dipped in honey. Ancient Jews believed apples contained healing properties and would ensure sweetness into the new year, a tradition that continues to this day. USC graduate student Henry Cohen shares his experience with the holiday. Uh, so I come to Hillel every time. I go to Rosh Hashanah services, Yom Kippur services in a few days, and we have apples and honey at home with all my housemates and stuff. So yeah, and I baked challah the other day for the first time, so that was cool. Even with long classes and busy schedules, students like Rafi Colton Max have been finding ways to still celebrate and create meaningful moments while they are away from home. Yeah, it's really nice. I'm here with my friends. We're all getting food. And it's a nice break from classes and then just to go back to the real world. But like to have that minute away with like people that are family is nice. Events kicked off yesterday, but will continue until October 5th. They include religious services, candle lightings, food gatherings, and much more. You can check out the USC Hillel or Chabad websites for more information on events. For Annenberg Media, I'm Nicole Bednar. I'm Jack Waterman. And I'm Nicholas Dinn.
It's 12 minutes past the hour. We're glad you're with us. From where we are, coming up, Iranian USC students that on the recent protests unfolding in Iran, and a conversation with Lucia Mosashi about the recent election in Italy. Over the past week, protesters have filled the streets of Iran following the death and funeral of 22-year-old Masha Amini, a woman who died after a struggle with Iranian law enforcement after not wearing her hijab properly. Iranian USC students have expressed their concern on the matter. Masa Amini died in the custody of Iranian morality police, who strictly enforced the conservative dress code of Iranian women. According to the Iranian government, three days after being detained in Tehran for apparently wearing her hijab too loosely, Amini collapsed from a heart attack and died in a Tehran hospital. Her family, however, have claimed that Amini was beaten in the back of the patrol car while on her way to the detention center. Her death has caused outrage in the country, amongst people who say Mass's death highlights the decades of discrimination and violence that women in Iran continue to face. Protesters, primarily female, continue to fight for the rights and freedoms of Iranian women. Officially, 41 protesters have died in what has become the largest protest in Iran since the 2019 protests on fuel prices. The protests have also hit close to home for the Iranian community here at USC. One student, who was asked to remain anonymous out of fear of retribution, has struggled in dealing with the emotional toll of the events. It's, it's really bad and um, I, I can't even uh, focus on what I'm doing. Uh, I have a lot of deadlines, projects, I have midterms, but I always check my Instagram to see if anyone's are like uh, alive. No one died again and um, I'm worried about my people in Iran and um, I talked with many other students here and all of them have the same feeling about that. But amongst the emotional hardships that these events have brought the Iranian people, Women have continued to protest by removing their hijabs, cutting off their hair, and chanting for women's liberation. People in Iran really want to be free, you know? And uh, we don't want to anyone tell us what should we wear, what should we be doing, and uh, we need the support of, like, the other countries. We need the support of countries to, like, help us and be our voice to hear from the world. Ariana Werner, president of the Persian Student Organization, echoes the same desires for progress and has felt inspired by the Iranian protest, hopeful that they could actually enact a change. Iranian women, I think, have always been at the forefront of the fight for their own rights. And it's very inspiring to see all the protests and the massive movements that have been, that are happening right now. The fire these protests have ignited within Ariana has sparked her hope for real, long-awaited progress to be made. Seeing the women protest the way that they are is very, for me, it was very, like, inspiring. And it's like, oh my God, maybe things will actually change. As Ariana also highlights, these protests have garnered global attention and media coverage, which has helped propel the decades-long struggle for freedom into new territories. It's nice to see people come together and be unified and like we're all going to fight for this and we're all going to, we might be like a world away, but we're all going to like be unified together. And I feel like we've had a strong sense of unity. 
Solidarity protests have taken place all around the world, including Istanbul, New York, Paris, and even a candlelight vigil here at USC. For Annenberg Media, I'm Veronique Wijak. According to projections from Italy's ongoing election, it is believed that they will see their first female prime minister elected. However, controversy has been raised over the fact that this will also be the first government led by a far-right party since the end of World War II. So, in order to learn more about this ongoing debate and hear from a more involved and personal perspective, uh, we are here today with Lucia Muzaki. Uh, Lucia, how are you doing today? I'm very good. How are you? Doing great. Thank you so much for being here today. Um, yeah, we just wanted to um, talk a little bit about um, your opinions and feelings um, on these elections that are going on. Um, you know, in the 28 election, um, the party um, that is is projected to win the my, uh, the majority of the vote just won 4.5%. Um, and just four years later, they now have 26% of the vote. Um, can you talk to us a little bit in your opinion on why you think this party um, has obtained um, so much influence, especially because they are a right-leaning party, which Italy hasn't hasn't seen much success in recently? Yeah, I will say that it's true that this is the most right party that the country has seen since post-World War II. But the country has a strong history of allying with the center-right. Starting about the 1990s, after there was a huge corruption scandal in Italy, you see there's this new party called Forza Italia, which was led by Silvio Berlusconi, that got a large portion of the vote, even if their policies were more right-leaning than the country had been accustomed to. And this is because they appealed to kind of a general public anger and distrust of how the government was working. So they kind of fed that popularism. And you see that trend uh, continue. And it's true, Brothers of Italy, Fratelli d'Italia, only had 4% in 2018. But what I think really marked the outcome of the election and why it doesn't seem as surprising to most of the citizens of Italy is that the parliament election actually happened six months before it was scheduled. Mm. And this is because the country has a history of what are known as technocratic governments. So basically, the system is a multi-party system. So for a prime minister to be chosen, there has to be a majority in parliament. But that almost rarely happens. So coalitions very often disagree. Uh, so while for some countries, prime ministers remain for long periods of time, so 10, 15 years, Italy usually goes one to two years and then changes. So this has been the 71st prime minister that the country has had. Wow. Um, and what you're seeing is that the last prime minister, so the one that's going to be stepping down in a month, he was an expert. He was not elected by the people. His name was Mario Draghi. He was the leader of the central bank. And he was chosen because the parties could not agree amongst themselves. No coalitions could be made. And so all of the parties outside of Brothers of Italy decided to form this coalition. And they lost a lot of trust from the people because they said it's they're ineffective. They cannot agree on who can rule. So Brothers of Italy kind of grew on that. They toned down some of their far-right appeals. And they kind of honed in on people's distrust of the government. So it is, it is scary to see Italy kind of move more and more right. But this kind of goes to show how its parties have been breaking up over the past 20 years. And this is kind of a moment for the people to to give them an insight that maybe something has to change. Right. Uh, it's, it's scary that now Barthes of Italy got 28%. But I think the reason why they got such a high vote is because it's a new party. It's a party that people have not tried before. Right. So, for example, the last party in 2018 that got the majority, they were known as the Five Stars. 
And the reason why they were able to get up to, what, 32% of the vote was because they kind of appealed to the people. They they were anti-establishment. A comedian was the person that founded the party. But they saw that even if they voted for them, they would not be able to rule because in 2018, there was a huge government crisis when the party had to step down. So it's definitely kind of a, a drastic turn. It remains to be seen what will happen. What was most significant was the election actually saw the lowest voting turnout it's had since post-World War II. So it was only 64%. Wow, yeah. Tell us more about why you think that that happened. I think more than likely is a general apathy among younger voters. I know when I was back this summer, this was the first election I voted in, but a lot of people that I was talking to, they didn't think their vote mattered. They didn't think it was going to impact anything. They just saw that the country had a history of instability and decentralization. And so they said, what's going to happen will happen. Right. And you see that a lot more, especially this election, since the turnout was so low, that the people that voted were the people that were um, more polarized. And yeah. so that's why the, the right coalition, so the center-right coalition of the three parties, got the most support. Yeah, and, and talk to us a little bit about um, Georgia Maloney, who is the um, uh, you know, presumptuous um, candidate for prime minister. You know, about a little bit about her um, and, and you know, her, her personality or what matters to you about her. I think, uh, well, she's Italy's first female prime minister, but what has a lot of people worried um, is the fact that she has very strong uh, ties to the far right. So originally she was part of kind of the National Alliance movement, the Italian social movement that uh, happened after Mussolini's fall. So it was a fascist party that kept going. And so there are concerns that she hasn't really addressed those ties as well as she could have. And so there's concern that the country is moving more and more right. Uh, in regards to some of her policies, she's platformed very strongly on God, homeland, family, so very conservative values for the country. So immigration is a very big issue in Italy right now. Just in uh, 2021, there were over 5 million refugees. So it, it's definitely, it will be interesting to see how she will lead moving forward and which of her policies she will tone down to appeal to the public. Yeah, absolutely. It's a story that we will have to um, keep up to date with as things continue. And um, we will be sure to um, keep in touch with um, the policy in um, Italy and how things look like they're going to be changing over the next um, months and time to come. So thank you so much for sitting down with us. We appreciate your time and for all your insightful information. Thank you. Thank you. And that's all we have time for on today's From Where We Are. Valeria Diaz and Meredith McCabe produced today's show. Also, we had help from Jacob Wheeler, Annie Bang, Monica Esquivel, and Julia Zaro, with headlines written by Nathan Elias. Victor Figora is our technical operator, and Derek Renfro composed our theme music. We are also streaming live on YouTube at Annenberg Radio News. Subscribe to From Where We Are, as well as ARN Stories, on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Finally, don't forget to follow us on Instagram at Annenberg Radio. I'm Jack Waterman. And I'm Nicholas Den. From all of us at Annenberg Radio, wherever you are, we hope you'll join us again for From, From Where, Where We, we are. are.